0: I'll be reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Father, cause us by the power of your spirit to allow these words to penetrate our heart. and Trust them. Cause us to be those who fall into your arms as an infant trusts their mothers, that we would believe you, we would believe who you are, and we would believe your otherworldly love, care for us who are in your Son. Do it this morning in us and amongst us. Amen. When St. Augustine, back in the late 300s, early 400s, was, was asked to list essential principles of the Christian life, he said, First is humility. Second is humility. Third is humility. And this is the main point of this passage. It begins back in at least verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then verse 5 is the pivotal verse. Here's, I'm going to just translate it word from word from the Greek. This is what it says literally. Think this among you, which also in Christ Jesus Which, it may mean, have this mind, have this attitude, which was also in Christ. His attitude, in other words, imitate the attitude of Jesus, which then he's going to lay out here in this text. Or it may mean, have this mindset, the mindset that Paul commanded us. In verses 1 through 4. Have this mindset of verses 1 through 4. Which is the only consistent mindset for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the only reason I burden you with that. Is to, because you have different translations. For instance, if you have an ESV. It translates it this way. Have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Jesus. The New American Standard Bible translates it, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. The NIV, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he, that's what follows. I think the New American, the NIV, or really what Paul is saying, particularly because of the context of humility, but ultimately it doesn't make a big deal. Okay? But he's going to lay out Jesus as an example of humility. And so this morning, what I want to do is focus on understanding verses 6 through 8, Christ self-humbly. But as we do, just keep there in the back of your mind, so... Also you. But we're going to go to not look at ourselves this morning. But to look at Christ. So, if you're there. Philippians 2 verse 6. Referring to Jesus. There are three crucial terms in this verse. We're going to look at. Who though he was in the Here's the first one. Form of God. He did not count. Here's the second one. Equality with God. A thing to be. And here's the third one. Grasped. So first, the first two terms. Morphe, translated form. Form of God. And isos, translated equality. It means equal. When he says... Jesus was in the morphe or the form of God. That that, that word means a form of something which truly and fully expresses the being of that. This is Paul's way of saying Jesus was in the mode of existence of God. That's his essence, morphe of God. The second word is isos. He did not count his equalness. Identity as God. His equality with God. And clearly referring back to what he just said. Though he existed in the form of God. Paul is making it clear that Jesus is pre-existent. Referring to his eternal equality with God as God. Before the Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary, this person, Jesus, the Christ, was eternally clothed in divine glory. That's who He is. So if you would, I want you to turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, for a moment. Here's Jesus within 24 hours of his suffering and death after the Lord's Supper, praying to the Father. Verses 4 and 5. Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me In your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That glory. Okay, let me just, uh, the word. Kavod in the Hebrew Old Testament or doxa in the New Testament. Glory has different nuances to it. When you say God is, glory is, what that means is we're talking about the very essence of His nature, who He is. It is His, that it's what is His glory. There's a nuance of glory. They say, well, if God wants to show that, like the, the sun, none of us have been to the sun. But we have all and constantly feel and benefit from the glory of the sun, in the sense that it's glory going outward, the radiance of the sun. Now, remember, nobody can see God and live, Moses, but I'll tell you what, I'll put you over here and let my glory. By, but you can't see that glory. But that glory, that glorious one, here's his Jesus's point. Came to us personally, became a human being, clothed in humanity. So here in John seventeen, here is Jesus, as our text would say, in the form of a of a servant. He he emptied himself, meaning he, in his humanity, was not manifesting in the role of his humanity and as a servant in his mortality. He was not manifesting his own inherent eternal glory. Except one time, Peter, James, and John, just you three, come with me. And they went up on a mountain. And Jesus was transfigured. Where God allowed the stunning glory of the person that is their buddy and their friend and their teacher to shine through that his clothing shone as white. As he stood there talking to Moses and to Elijah. But that's not how Jesus walked the earth. That was the moment of the hour up there on the mountain. That's who this person is. As the writer of the Hebrews opens up that great sermon this way. But in these last days God has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, His Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He, the Son, upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins in his humanity, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so here in Philippians 2, Paul's point is clear. Before his incarnation, Christ existed with God the Father. In nature, identical to God the Father, was equal with God, during His incarnation, in its mortality, before the cross, He emptied Himself by becoming, taking to as we saw last week, becoming truly human. And one thing that means, and emptied Himself, meaning He laid aside His outward glory. Took the form of a servant. And so as Jesus walked the earth, as we saw last week, he is one person with two distinct natures. And his human nature, the incarnation, in his walk down here, veiled, it's like a veil, or if I take that a big old dark blanket and put it over that light, it'll veil the light. From shining through. He's just very human. It's what you see. Kill him. Because he's truly human. And so the glory that he had. Before he became human. Here he is in John 17. He prays. That he would receive. That glory to His person, which He always has in His divine nature, the same glory He always had, what He is saying is that I have become human. That same divine glory, and He's looking past the cross to the resurrection and to the ascension, is King. Glorify Me. Glorify this humanity. And so I just want to, we're going to come back to our passage in Philippians. But let me read the rest of what Paul says here in Philippians 2. It's where it goes. Listen to it. But Jesus, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Here comes. And therefore, God has highly exalted him. That person. Who is God? Who is also human. He exalted that human being. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him. The name. That is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ the Messiah is. And we will come here next week. It is stunning. He, the child of Mary, is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I don't know that grips me. Now, third word. What does that word translated grasped? What does it mean? Here in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Huh? Okay. The noun translated grasp is arpogmas, and it comes from the verb, the the action word, aparzo which is a word you would use to grab something or snatch or if an army you know, uh, wins the battle in that city, they plunder it, they, they grab the stuff. That's what the basic meaning of the word. So, in the context here in Philippians 2, on, on, on the surface that would wor- works grammatically, contextually, th- th- there are three possible meanings. The first is something like this, Uh, to grasp in, 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 in an active sense, just to grab at, meaning something like this, Christ did not regard his being equal with God as robbery. That's actually how the King James Version translates it. Let's see what, what what that would mean is he he didn't actively rob or snatch or grasp equality with God because it was already his. Would need to. Okay, I don't think that's what Paul does have in mind though. Alright, secondly would be something like this. Although he was in. The form of God, he did not count his equality with God a thing to be held on to. Grasped, just continue to grasp. In the sense that he did not refuse to become human. Something like that. But he did. Third possibility is, and this is what I think it means... His equality with God was not something to be used in order to grasp something that he doesn't have. I'm going slow on purpose. In other words, say it this way. Jesus did not regard his equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. And this is the context. It's about humility. It's about giving. It's about the nature of God, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In other words, Jesus did not consider his equality with God a means of getting something else that he doesn't have. In this sense, when Paul says he did not consider his equality with God, then the noun grasped. The grasped doesn't have equality with God as its object. It is the beginning point. Because he's equal with God, he he didn't consider that to be used to get. But as a Passage says, to give. He did not consider, let my divine nature be used to go gain some stuff from creation that I don't have. To the contrary, the text says, he emptied himself. Now there's, it goes something like this. Because, precisely because he was in the form of God. The one who became a man. Precisely because of his divine nature. He did not regard his divine nature as something to be used for his own selfish advantage. Unlike many despots... Rulers, kings, authoritarians who use their position to take advantage of others. Jesus' very equality with God meant giving, serving, overflowing to others, not getting something that he does not already have. The very nature of our God, it means toward the world, he's a giver, not a getter. That's why Paul's flow in the text goes simply like this. Not this. But this, because Christ is God, therefore he did not use his divine nature to get, but instead emptied himself by becoming or taking the form Of a slave being born in the likeness of men. So, there, that term, just empty it out, empty yourself, that expression. Does not, as we saw last week, mean he emptied himself of any of his divine attributes or ceased to be God or in, 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 in any sense he is no longer omniscient in his divine nature or omnipotent. No. But to empty himself, it's an idiom. It's an idiomatic saying that essentially means he gave up his rights. That's why the NIV loosely translates it he made himself nothing. The second person of the Holy Trinity abandoned his rights. He became a lowly servant. Emptied is to be understood in the light of what follows. But emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant. By being born in the likeness of men. So he emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a doulos. A slave who are nobodies with no rights. When the pre-existent Jesus emptied himself By embracing the divine plan of the incarnation, he became a slave with no rights. Remember last week? Paul does not say he changed his divine nature into human nature. No. But instead, he took to his person The role of a slave. The role of utter humility. And so without ever abandoning any of his divine nature or attributes, he adopted the mode of a slave by taking to his person true human nature in the womb of Mary and forevermore. Being Born in the likeness of men. One person, two natures. And Paul goes on and says he not only became human. In the role of a slave. But verse 8 then points to his stunning choosing. Humility. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. It's not a pretty piece of jewelry. The cross is one of the most horrific ways to die in human history. So we heard the larger passage of this this morning, but just listen to Hebrews 10, verses 5 to 7 again. And consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, now picture the preexistent Christ. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. A body you have prepared for me to hang on pieces of wood as a sacrifice for sins. And for the Jews, like Paul, to suffer a Roman crucifixion fell under Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. And you hang him on a tree His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day because a hanged man is cursed by God. There's no accident. It's no accident that Rome came up with crucifixion. No wonder the cross of Christ was such a stumbling block to the Jews you say what? but it became the very core of the doctrine of the atonement for our sins that's why Paul writes in Galatians 3.13 Christ he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it's written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree All right. I'm going to go to application in a second what I want to first do then is just Give you my paraphrase again of verses six to eight of where we've gone through and just hear the flow of how I'm understanding these verses. Paul tells us precisely because Jesus is the pre existent one who has eternally been in glory and in nature God, therefore, because it is his nature. He did not regard this equality of of his godness as something to be used for his own advantage. That is, in other words, to use people so that he can grasp at things he doesn't have. No, but instead, because it is what his nature dictates, he gave to the point of taking to himself human nature in the form not of a king, but of a slave. And during his human life, this pre-existent, all-glorious one did not consider his nature as God to be an excuse not to obey the divine plan of his suffering and death. But instead, he humbled himself by submitting for love's sake to death even the brutal, bloody, shameful death on a Roman cross. So let's let what we see here in this passage, which is the love of God, which is God's heart toward all who are being saved. Let us let it sink down into our souls. The love that he revealed in the incarnation, in life, in death of his son. The logic of the passage is simple. God's very nature is not to take advantage of you in order to get some need that he has by using you. But the very nature of God that is manifested in Jesus Christ shows us that his nature is to overflow in giving. That's the motive that sent Jesus to the cross. Guys, do you see, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is therefore fully self sufficient. He doesn't have and can never have needs that are not met in himself. He is utterly needless. And therefore he is always there. Always for whoever will come to him. And that doesn't just mean initially which it does. There's a beginning to that of the new life in Christ. Being saved. But it means during our journey and walk down here. Of pain, trials and uncertainties. It looks a little bit like Psalm 121. One to four. The psalmist As an example for us, cries out. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. What a truth this is for every Christian. When you're overwhelmed with fears and uncertainties, where do you look for help? Psalmist says, and we're going to come to this next week too. This, 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 just watch, listen to this word. My help comes from Yahweh, the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Little kids think their daddies are like, gods and they're great. Nothing like that. The psalmist reminded himself of two great truths. One is that God is the mighty creator over all your problems of life. That's what he means by he will not let your foot be moved. And the other is, of course, it's anthropomorphic. But the whole point is to drive this human language down into our souls. He will never sleep on you. He's never not fully involved in your circumstance. The whole point is God is the tireless caretaker, worker, who loves and delights and finds joy in working for the good of each and every individual who belongs to him in Christ Jesus. Listen to God's heart. From Isaiah 64, verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. All these these pagan gods everywhere, they're all selfish. Pacify them, pacify them. Work for them. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God besides you. Who? Acts for those who wait for him. David knew that in that most famous of all psalms. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And God says through Jeremiah the prophet in foretelling the new covenant in his son's blood, these words... I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts in order that they may not turn from me. Hear God's heart. I will rejoice in doing them good. So are you his? Have you been purchased by the blood of Christ? Do you believe in him? If the answer is yes, then know that God is working around the clock always. He doesn't sleep. It's his great delight. He does not begrudge doing you good. got your whole life in his hand he will never sleep nor slumber he loves to work for those who wait for him and jesus his incarnation his life his suffering his death is the clearest revelation of that reality Remember what God said in his incarnation. I have not come to be served, but I have come to serve. That's the essence of Jesus' humility. Because he was and is God, Therefore, he came to give, not to get, by taking the form of a servant in order to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, may our sovereign, holy, Trinitarian, all-powerful God awaken us in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of our downcast spirits, to the reality that he loves to work for our real everlasting good. No wonder the Apostle Paul exclaimed, What then shall we say to these things of the gospel he just laid out? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all? Father we thank you for the book, thank you for every one of those 66 writings in this precious Bible. We thank you for the Psalms. We thank you for teaching that even Paul gives us here in Philippians. For it is through your word, it is through words and meaning that you comfort, that you guide, that you exhort, that you save. And it is only by your grace, and this is where we rest, that you cause us to believe who you actually are. You cause us to believe this otherworldly love and the joy that you have in being for us forever. Our eternal happiness through mercy in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, to the glory of